Welcome to Episode 2 of RPG Ramblings, a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. For this episode, Tim Shorts and Ben Lawrence are back, each providing additional insight to their success at producing RPG content. In the first segment, Ben discusses the creation of a zine through Oltan Store. It is a trippy, extra-dimensional plane of existence intended for characters to serendipitously tumble into. We also look back into Ben's early gaming experiences, and it becomes quite clear that through Old Tanstar really was quite inevitable. For $5, you can pick the zine up at drivethroughrpg.com or through a storefront at througholdtanstar.bigcartel.com. Tim Shorts gives us a deep dive into running the successful Kickstarter, Hunters in Death, a hex crawl zine, and he also takes us through his journey of trying to fulfill those 600 orders. Hunters in Death is $5 at drivethroughrpg.com. Both Ben and Tim are prolific writers, and their blogs are well worth reading. Links to those blogs, as well as contact information, is found in the show notes. Now, it is time to get rambling. Hi, Welcome glad to, to be here. Oh, it's great having you. I must say that uh, looking at Through Old Hand's Door, uh, I, hate to, honestly, I hate to say it, but it is absolutely a stunning product. I mean, when you look at the cover of this product it is absolutely astounding why well thank you that's all due to the masterful craftsmanship of huargo um uh, who is a wonderful illustrator who's done a bunch of things for the advanced fighting fantasy line for contemporary game books a kind of weird little universe of things um but yes that um the, the first cover was by him and the second cover was by Russ Nicholson. So you can't go wrong with Russ. Right. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> well, I think to me, uh, what talking with Tim and, uh, Tim shorts, um, looking at this, uh, cause I did a little Googling and I really didn't find much in the way of published zines or published works. And looking through the zine, the layout, the choices you made, the elegance, the um, it's like a perfectly formed zine that the art and the layout and the font choices. And I think you didn't, you also, um, the, I don't wanna say the sparing use of art, but it really provides to me a feel of like a, like a 19th century book is was that the intent like what were you going for um so uh i i want to give credit where credit's due here i mean here here's what i had uh, what i had was the idea for the zine the prose of the zine um which already you know has a pretty strong aesthetic flavor and i mean that's how that's kind of how I do role-playing stuff. I mean, that's how I run my own games. That's how my imagination works. I have to like kind of get into the aesthetics of a thing to, in order to have things pop for me and um, to start having fun and so on. Um, but, you know, a lot of the choices you're talking about uh, were by, um, by the product of Matt Hildebrand's, um, uh, excellent uh, in, uh, initial layout. He did um, th those two issues. Uh, and in fact, he did the first issue free 
Um, he just offered his services when I was getting started uh, because he liked my stuff and he wanted to pitch in and kind of help me get started. Um, and so actually that was all, I mean, in a way the font, the font choices, um, the, the kind of just, th I'd never thought about layout before. I've thought about layout now right? because I've been doing these two. I did those two and now I, I have a whole bunch more that are about to come out. And so I've gotten more into it, but then I really didn't know. And so, you know, it, it was really his st steady hand and he does a lot of layout for DCC and um, Goodman Games, I think, um, and different different um, companies. I mean, he's a graphic designer. So a lot of those initial choices were by him. I mean, I loved it and I thought it was perfect. Um, and we did go back and forth about a bunch of things, but really I think that's his kind of mad vision as much as anything. Um, yeah, I think for me, cause I, I, you know, been playing around with, with uh, design layout. I mean, just recently, and but I look at, you know, something like this, and I, I think like, what choices would I make? And uh, I realized I would have made all the wrong choices. That <laughs> whoever was chosen here is absolutely like perfect uh, as far as I yeah. think fitting that kind of vibe that you're looking for. I mean, it's it's yeah. not overly done. I think I would have used a heavy hand and ruined it, but it, it it maintains a level of elegance that is just absolutely, you know, sublime. Yeah, and it's interesting to see too. I mean, I started in, so I'm about to release a, um, a double, the next issue is gonna be a double issue. Uh, and um, Matt was just too busy with other stuff. I mean, eventually I started paying him. I mean, for the second right. issue, I paid him, but I wanna be clear. But then but then he was just too busy with uh, other, you know, more more real work. So right. I, uh, but I, I had, uh, um, I worked with a different person, Lester Smolinski, um, and he, he, and it was neat because, you know, he has a slightly different vision, but it's continuous. you know, he gets the earlier issues, but then right. he's bringing his own thing. And so it's kind of fun to work with people like that. I mean, I would love one day to be able to do the layout myself, um, because I think if I'm both writing it and doing the layout, then I could really make the form and the content work together. But, you know, there are a lot of skills that, you know, this is a hobby. And so like, right, whatever skills you can pick up, that's great. Uh, I don't have that one yet. Um, and I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll never be like a professional, but, but maybe I could kind of figure it out um, enough for my purposes, um, but not yet. I hear you. I mean, it really is. I mean, to put, to put something together, because I mean, because Normally, when you're starting out doing something new, you you have to make all the mistakes. Right. And then, I mean, one reason why I think it might be possible for me in the future is because you can copy the layout. Matt and and Lester yes. will put in so much so much legwork that eventually maybe you know um, it won't require a kind of as heavy a lift. Well, and there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, you know, they, they provide, you know, when you have a, a template, so to speak, and this is a very well done template. And I think what makes it nice is it's, it's also, um, it kind of goes against the normal thing that you see for RPG products. You know, as far as the, yeah. the, the way that the vibe is, I mean, it has an elegant, it really has just an elegant feel to it. 
Yeah, I sorry. <laughs> Here, wait. Sorry. One second. Let me grab. Sorry, I was literally grabbing my own zine to remind myself some of the layout choices. But yeah, no, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I do elegance is the whole thing. I mean, that's the idea. I mean, there are various ways in which it kind of departs from, like what, you know, what what zines are normally like. I mean, one there, I, I, I will. It's true both in the writing and the layout. I mean, I'm kind of conscious that one thing about it is that it's kind of doing that thing which can be unbearable in certain circumstances. Like, you know, the zine is like, uh, it's it's not supposed to be a fancy form, you know? Right. Um, but it's, it's really, so it's kind of belongs to that uh, not totally attractive tradition of like artisanal, right. you know, macaroni and cheese or art. <laughs> Yeah, or arguably, you know, bourbon. How could it cost a hundred dollars a bottle? <laughs> you know, what what is this? Uh, it's supposed to be bourbon. You, you know, it's so it it, it you know, but it it, it does kind of it does do that. Um, I I tried to. You know, I did try to. I have tried to kind of max max out in various ways. It's kind of craftsmanly like for way. I I use like very particular materials and I, um, I I try to make it all come together. And then, you know, and so that's not, not the normal thing. And then also in the writing, I mean, I do think I ride the edge. I try to make it, you, I play, this all comes out of play. I wanna be clear. All my stuff comes out of play. None of it comes out of a place that's not, it always comes from my own games. It's not from it's an ivory tower. I develop. It's not from an ivory tower. It's from actual playing of Dungeons and Dragons. And I try to make it usable at the table, but I mean, but I do also, I think, kind of ride an edge there because uh, I don't write super tersely. And the idea of the zine is kind of to write in a way with a sort of purple prose, um, but but to try to make it usable. Like, so there are these things I'm kind of, tr these lines I'm trying to walk. I want it to really be a zine, but right. I'm trying to make it super fancy. I, I want it to be usable at the table, but I don't want to give up my purple prose. And, you know, that, um, yeah, that's. So if there, if there was this, cause talking with Tim, uh, cause the zines come from like a pop, a punk rock, uh, you know, background. Mm -hmm. So what would be the soundtrack for this work? Is it oh hard rock from the seventies? Yeah. Is it psychedelic yeah, I, rock from the sixties? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I do think, yeah, the, it it would be, it would stand to, it would probably stand to zines as prog rock stands to rock. <laughs> okay. But but I'm not, but I'm not sure what the zine would actually be. I mean, I don't, the um, soundtrack would actually be because it, you know, it has a kind of dark fairy tale, dreamy, thing to it and it's not really like a very it's not exactly metal it's not exactly psychedelic 
Um, so it's not really a 1960s kind of thing exactly. So is it dark I'm, side I'm of the moon? Sure. Maybe, but maybe, or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there would be a little, yeah. It's a little David Bowie in there maybe too. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I'm not sure, yeah. So what exactly, probably should have done this first, but uh, this is what we do, I guess, is, uh, yeah. so what is, how would you summarize um, Through All Ten's Door? Yeah, so uh, Through All Ten's Door, um, I would say, so the, the premise, the conceit is very, very simple. So the conceit is that there is in the waking world, whatever your game's waking world is. Um, um, so I was running it in the Wilderlands, um, Judges Guild's Wilderlands uh, in my original home game. But, you know, I think it would work especially well in a very drab um, waking world. But anyway, in the waking world of your game world, there is a printmaker named Ulten, and um, a door has appeared underneath his stairs, and the door leads into the kind of sewers and undercity of a flying city of the dreamlands um, called Zion. Uh, and uh, the zine kind of takes you step by step into that world. So, you know, issue one is what lies right on the other side of the door. Um, the ruins of the Inquisitor's Theater, uh, which has uh, white swine, giggling white swine, and shadow, 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 nightmare shadow puppets, and um, things like that. Uh, issue two kind of takes you down the sewer river to another dungeon, the catacombs of the Fleisch Guild, which are kind of. Um, uh, a kind of actively maintained set of uh, guild tombs for a, a very gory uh, kind of guild. Um, and, and then in the most recent issues, that it's going to introduce the Sewer River as a point crawl with rules for handling that, a big old encounter table and a lot of sites along it and so on. And so, the, you know, the idea is bit by bit to release a kind of setting uh, in the dreamlands, a kind of uh, dark fairy tale sort of setting or, or a kind of Lord Dunsany and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft um, dreamlands-ish setting with a bunch of other influences um, that uh, could be used either like mod in a modular way because a doorway to the dreamlands can open anywhere, anytime, and you could drop in any piece you wanted anywhere. But the idea is, you, you know, uh, um, eventually, I mean, it will be a whole kind of campaign that you could play um, that would just start a, a, a party out on the waking world side of Altan's door. And then there's a whole world because that's just the sewers and undercity, but above there's a city and below there's a jungle that hangs down from the bottom of the flying island. And, and so there's a kind of whole world there that I'm slowly working my way out into uh, this kind of gaming in the dreamlands, not, not the Call of Cthulhu dreamlands, not chapter and verse H.P. Lovecraft, but, but you know, a kind of reimagined dreamlands that draws on a kind of broader range of things. So what, what made you want to do this? I mean, what, what was the, the catalyst? Uh, well, the catalyst is that, you know, for, 
about four and a half years, for four and a half years now, I've been running a campaign in the dreamlands um, uh, um, that um, now has two groups that uh, are, are playing in it. Um, it's been more intermittent than I would have liked recently, but there are two groups playing in it. You know, um, many players have come through over the years. And so uh, it really um, is material that I initially developed out of play. I mean, I developed it f for my first original game. And then once I started having a bunch, I thought, well, you know, and was kind of getting it up into shape. I kind of introduced the second group as a sort of play test group for the more kind of developed versions when I would go back and reimagine it and, and start working towards, you know, publishing it. So it, the insp inspiration for it is really just my, my own play. Um, the, the game actually started, the original, original inspiration for it started this way. I was really, I mean, this is a good illustration of how things get started. I, I was playing a different game. I was running face-to-face -face players through Chris Kutalik's Slumbering or Sign Dunes. And I kind of made it metal. I had changed it. You know, the Slavic thing wasn't going to work for the world I was in. And I added this kind of kind of metal, heavy metal patina to it. And and I wanted the idea was the slumbering or sign dunes, like the the veil of reality is wears thin there, and, and a lot of things bleed through. And so I just made it a table for what would happen when. <laughs> One of the characters I was playing with summoned monsters a lot. And so I just wanted a table that, of mishaps for when you summon a monster, might you tear, where could you tear a hole through to? And I, you know, I had all these fantabulous different places that would appear, you know, through this tear in reality. And one was this upside down jungle in the dreamlands. And, um, on Google Plus, people liked the table and shared it around a bunch. And I thought, I you know, and the, I thought, well, I, I could probably recruit some players to play in this. They they liked it, and so then I I just said I've always wanted to do the Dreamlands, um, and so I I did it. So it arose just really just from a random tape, one entry on a random table, um, and then a thought that I would rather be playing with people on Google Plus in a way than. Um, or I could play a different kind of game with the right. people on Google. Right. That was you're, you're more less closer to what I was, less limited and more clo close to my actual gaming interests. And so I did that. I mean, a deeper answer though, is that um, I've just been fascinated with the dreamlands and dreams forever. As like a teenager, I read H.P. Lovecraft's Dreamlands books, which for me are the best H.P. Lovecraft by far. People say, oh, the other stuff is my, I like the other stuff too. It's okay. I like it. Yeah. But, but for me, I really love the Dreamlands books. And, you know, when later I discovered they were so heavily influenced by Lord Dunsany and I discovered Lord Dunsany, I, I really love Lord Dunsany's Dreamcraft, uh, Dream, Dream World, Dreamers Tales and things like that. Um, but then also just in my own life, like I was kind of obsessed with dreams. Also the first role-playing game I ever played was set in the dreamlands in fifth grade as a player. <laughs> and so from the very beginning, this kind of crazy dreamlands yeah. that this like wild punk kid who was running it in fifth grade for us just kind of cooked up. 
And so like there were all these things, um, I used to have very drip, vivid, long dreams that um, lucid dreams. And so there, there were, you know, this idea that you could um, just walk through a door, you know, and be somewhere that had that kind of magical otherworldly right. feeling was just captivating me for personal reasons, basically. And then, and then, you know, and then, so then it all, but it all comes out of play. And um, I mean, I think the impulse to want to publish it is like kind of the, it's just, you have the stuff, you think you could make it even better and then you share it with people um, because maybe they'll enjoy it too, but that's, that's really what it is. So a long running in, interest with the Dreamlands one random table and then a game that took off from there and then coming out of you know a very long campaign um kind of finally getting pieces so together when you did your random table because you wanted the random table to go to different places and not probably be limited to one thing did you for the random table did you just imagine like what would be the weirdest thing you could put characters through was that the kind of thing you were going for or what exactly i wanted the things that when the reality was torn i wanted them each to be totally wild kind of worlds in a bottle i mean little pocket you, you know right kind of like the pocket dimensions of yeah anyway so that was the idea and so i was kind of going for maximum evocative um and you know, I started thinking about each of the places and was it, was it to the, like keep players dream like uh, off balance, not necessarily in a bad way, but were you trying to create places that would throw off their equilibrium and, and not understand like the laws of maybe not just physics, but like maybe just the, the normal social laws don't work or what your expectations, right. is that the kind of thing you're going for? Yeah, I, I guess that Yes, I, I was going for that. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, for one thing, I want them to think that the slumbering or signed dunes were already, you know, not operating according to the normal rules. And so like the idea that you can just tear right through the fabric of reality unintentionally to like these other places was already like that was supposed to make the slumbering or signed dunes pop in a way. But then, yeah, that 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 is the idea. I mean, in a way that's the idea of the zine too, is like, you don't know what's on the other side of the door. Um, and part of what's fun about introducing it in little pieces is that actually, you know, you, you get to kind of pull the curtain further and further back to this, what's a really weird place. I mean, obviously it's right. a flying city. There's like a three-dimensional invert upside down hex crawl through a jungle at the bottom. There's this kind of decadent, city that has its own like politics and and you only get like echoes and glimpses of that in the sewers and undercity but that's um yeah that's the kind of figuring out what the hell is going on here is a large part of the fun i think like for the purposes of adapting and surviving um but also just because it's you know it's fun to figure out what's going on so it sounds like this is not a short-term project, but something that's probably just going to keep growing and going. There's not going to be a point where you're going to say, I'm done. Yeah, I, uh, 
you know, I've thought about what it would be to be done and, you know, who knows how, you know, who knows how long these things, one, it's hard to make promises. Uh, obviously, I, I would never be so foolish as to make a promise about this. But, you know, yeah, uh, I, there's a lot more. Um, so uh, this next kind of double issue gets a chunk of Thunder City out, but there's another kind of big piece of it. There's probably a couple more issues in, in that. And then probably I'll go down into the white jungle. And I, I mean, I think probably something on the order of like six, maybe something like 16 issues with a bunch of those being maybe kind of double issues might get <laughs> most of it there. But that's like, you know, that's, if you want to describe a city, an entire city that's, you know, like a kind of a yeah. huge kind of decayed metropolis. And you want to do a kind of four level hex crawl, 3D hex crawl. And then you want to do a kind of undercity. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. And um, I, I would like to present it all. I might stop at some point doing it in zine form and start doing it in more, you know, like, I don't know, hardcovers or box sets or something. So but you're talking about where that's, yeah. but you're talking about like, you'll stop with the zines and then you'll do new product as books. Yeah. I, I, some, I'm not sure. I mean, I think probably the first thing to do is to consolidate things that came out of the zine. So I think the natural thing would be like kind of finish the sewers and undercity and then do a kind of collected sort of thing that represents the material just as one unified thing. Um, so probably I'll do that. that. That's pretty far off. You know, that's a couple, would be a couple of years at the snail's pace I work. So, you know, who, who knows? But yeah, uh, and I might keep doing them side by side. I might keep publishing the zine and do some collections. Um, well, it, it's been successful so far, but I'm, I understand it's like what your energy is going to be, your time is going to be, you know, what people's interest is going to be. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it's like, it's like with art and a lot of things, it's like what we do, I think there's a certain amount of, um, we kind of try things and then we kind of, that produces a different way of thinking or experiences. So as you're doing it, it could change many times just because you can't necessarily yeah. plan out. It's not like you, you're saying, I drew a, a continent and I'm just going to fill in each one of those because there's no boundaries that are, are here. No. And you can change the rules as you want. Exactly. And not only that, but it's also because it's a labor of love. It's, it's just highly dependent on what I have the create, what one has the creative juice to do. So, you know, I, it's not, you know, for me, it is a kind of hobby activity. I mean, I'm lucky to have a full-time job that hasn't disappeared because of COVID. Um, and I, you know, that also imposes a lot of constraints on how much time I have to do other things. Uh, and so I pursue this, you know, as a kind of hobby project, but you know, the second it's not fun, I can't do it. It, it right. has to come out of a place of love or, and excitement, or it's just, you know, not going to, it's not, not going to happen just because I'm going to be too burned out from the rest of life. So um, this isn't your retirement plan. Like you can do this and, and retire from your job and it can yeah. pay for your kids' education. And 
I, I don't think it's ever going to pay for anything. <laughs> my goal is just to keep it so that I don't cost my family money through. My, my goal is, is mainly to just keep it self-sufficient. I mean, I like each thing to be able to pay for right. the next thing. And if it's, you know, and if it's more than that, then I don't know what, but, but that's my kind of goal. And so far that's been true, I think. Um, so it's as long as it pays for itself. And when I say itself, I want to be clear, I am paying artists. I am paying right. layout. Matt Hildebrand helped me out the very beginning when I had not, nothing with the right. scene, but, but I pay everybody, you know, I pay right. for the, for the, uh, you know, thus far I've paid like editors and uh, artists and so on. So when I say it pays for itself, I mean, it pays the other people who, whose work I, I use and then it pays for my printing and buying the paper and all the, all the stuff. Um, but I'm not really thinking of it as producing a kind of funds. Right. Um, but I, I think the, the thing is in, in Intel, cause this has been, I mean, I've started in the publishing, you know, recently and it's been kind of an experiment. It's fun. It's a hobby, but also treating it as a business as well. And so I put something out, it makes some money. Then I'll go buy some art, put the art in there. I've been trying to be, of course, maybe that's not the best way of doing it. But what you did uh, is you, you first time out, uh, you like swung for the fences. You bought some top-notch art. You put a, yeah. I mean, you put the energy, the effort, and the monies ahead. You did, so this was not kickstarted, correct? No, it wasn't kickstarted. So yeah. this was a leap of faith, which is absolutely astounding. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was a leap of faith. I mean, it start. you know, I initially thought I was going to do just 200 copies and, you know, who knows how many I would sell. And because I was printing it at home at first, it wasn't like as huge an investment in my mind. And a lot of the maps and art um, were provided for that first issue again um, by Gus uh, L for, for free. He doesn't take money for anything. Um, it's just not how, just what he does for the hobby. So, um, so in a way the startup costs were less than they might have been, but, but then I quickly learned that I just couldn't print it at home because if the kind of fancy paper I was using would just break any printer. Um, basically, and it was like a nightmare to have people doing orders and then having my printer break and then being like stressed out about how am I gonna, I've already accepted people's money. And so, so, <laughs> yes. so then it, then it was getting to the point where, okay, now it's a bigger investment. So now it is an investment. Now I, cause I order a lot of paper, I have to pay the printer and now I'm getting fancy art even more so you know it is kind of a big investment now but when it started it seemed more doable because I was doing it at home I got a helping hand from some people who were like hey we want to help you get a start um, and uh, but yeah I did have some kind of crazy ideas and some of my ideas also didn't work out I mean I tried some things um, and you know you so learning process well I but yeah, yeah. I think the main thing is, is you saw that you didn't necessarily know how successful it was going to be. 
but you had faith in a success and you had faith in the product that you had and that it would resonate with people. Yeah. And back then I, you know, I had a little bit more to go on than vapor uh, and just kind of uh, because I, Google plus being what it was back then I did, you know, I could see that, right. that I would share like the gaming material and people would be into it. And so I would think, and they would say, Hey, what are you, you know, Hey, what are you going to, you going to do something with this? And so I, I had a little bit of assurance that like, it wasn't just totally going to dis like totally disappear um, if I didn't screw it up. So I, I think that also helped like all of these things, you know, it's like even recruiting players for my, that first game, if I hadn't thought I could get people interested in it, you know, it's like all it, it the little, all I'm saying is that, that, um, yeah, but of course it was, it was, it was a risk. All these things are crazy <laughs> ideas. People are crazy. I mean, yeah. this is how they're doing. This is what it's like. We have the weirdest, most intensive hobby that, you know, ask people to be creative and put themselves out on a limb and pretend to be other people and, um, you know, make things themselves. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of all out on a limb, you know? Well, yeah. And I will say, I think it also speaks to the fact that um, I think there's many people, maybe myself included too. It's like you, you kind of follow, maybe you think as a certain pattern or a certain thing, uh, but you decided to do something that actually was a lot different. And I think that when you successfully produce a product that's not the same as everything else, it definitely, uh, if you can get the eyeballs on it, uh, you can, it, it is a very um, sellable product and it's people want these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, I really do think it's true, like in our little neck of the woods. I mean, I don't know, like, obviously this isn't true for 5e and, you know, the huge markets or oh, who knows, but it doesn't seem to work according to the same rules. But I do think in our little hobbyist kind of corner, what people do want is the kind of thing that the creator loves and thinks is that they, they, do it that way because they're really into it, you know, and they don't really want kind of just the same, right? Like they don't, they want you to make something because you love it and you think it's good right? for yourself. And, and that's what people like are kind of into. And I do think like, um, you can get a lot of mileage out of that. Like if you, if you're focused on what people are going to like, I think paradoxically, you're going to get less what they like here because it would just be better to go with the thing that you love and that like makes you super excited. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that you cannot, if you're not excited about it, you can't put the same kind of energy and yeah. you know, it just, it just isn't going to be there. Yeah. So, for sure. I, well, anyway, I think we're brushing up against the, the time space continuum, Ben. Um, okay. we'll have to, I just want to say, I appreciate you, um, uh, joining me. I really appreciate the, uh, the energy and effort you're putting into the hobby and the beautiful products that you're doing. And I think with art, um, I think it inspires other people, which in turn inspires other people and maybe even comes back to the people who originated it. And I think you're doing a 
a, um, a wonderful thing by producing a, a marvelous, uh, a unique, well, maybe unique's not the right word, but it's, uh, um, but it definitely the hobby needs, I think, sure. being stretched in different ways that it normally doesn't. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I hope we can talk again. Um, yeah. We will talk soon. It is time for a deep dive. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. So this idea you had, this this hunters and death. So did you have the i like a strong idea before you started the Kickstarter or the Zine Quest, or was this um, something that you worked through? Like you had a, maybe a, a, an i like did you have a complete idea or a partial idea when you went into this? Uh, <laughs> my answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> Hunters and Death is based in a, a campaign world I've been running for a couple of years. And I have a Patreon where I kind of do like these micro adventures, and, and that's where I kind of base them out of this this Kilmore uh, uh, Forest. And I had this idea, like I don't know, even before I had the creation of Kilmore Forest of doing this Hunters and Death. I even bought these boxes, these manuscript boxes. I'll show them here. You can see them, but your folks can't. Yeah. These white ones are real strong. And everything because I didn't I couldn't afford buying like a whole bunch of boxes to make a box set, you know, that had all the printed thing. Yeah, yeah. So I got these things, and then I got those like half page stickers, and I was gonna print the art on it and then stick it on just like a real do it do it yourself yeah. thing on the cover. And I was gonna do this hunters and death box set, and I was gonna have little zines in there and everything. Of course, like most of my ideas, they start out strong and then they, you know, the next day I I'm, there's just another squirrel that I'm chasing or whatever and that so when zine quest came up I dug that idea back up I'm like you know what I got this thing I think that I've got material there I can use and then I had been creating these adventures for uh you know a couple of years I can really draw so I have a really good foundation to to uh, begin this project everything so that's kind of where it came from but it kind of tailed off into its own wild uh so i had a plan jeff i really did <laughs> so uh, as far as the the format i mean did did the format change at all or was the format pretty much the same throughout the formatting changed somewhat because are you talking about like the um so i think it's well like 28 pages as far as interior pages plus a cover it's 30 well that was gonna be 28 pages but now it's up to it's 30 so i, I added another page in there and i could have probably added another eight more pages in it too because i had written more than i needed but i didn't realize how big it got <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I i had this idea for a zine and i was like you know what i'll do this zine and as i as i did it I'm in the same situation where all of a sudden it turned into a book, um, <laughs> which was stupid. And then I decided, well, maybe I'll just take the book, book and then divide it into separate zines. So right. it's just, you're right. You, you kind of get an idea and you're like, how? and all of a sudden you realize it. You wonder like, can I fill 32 pages? Then you're like, well, 32 pages, that's nothing. Yeah. Especially when you start adding like maps and artwork and 
you know, stat blocks or whatever, because there's a lot that goes in it beyond the writing. And then, you know, you've got to squish it all in there and make it look to at the same time. So you, you had the page count, you, you overwrote, did you <laughs> intend to overwrite? Did you say, no. you know what, I'm just going to let myself go and then I'm going to edit myself? Well, the idea originally, uh, Jeff, was going to just be like a kind of like a, you know, uh, a, a small hex crawl, very tiny, small one. But then what ended up happening is, is I started getting ideas for different adventures, but I also needed to build a foundation for the, 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 the land, the, the Comor forest itself. So it had to be, it had to stand on its own without the adventures. So I basically had to build the cake and then put the frosting on it kind of thing. Right. So, but like when I first started, I, w- I was just going to have little, like the, 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 the hound's head, which is like the, you know, starting point for your adventures. And then just have different adventures that kind of linked together that ended up just kind of loosely linked together, but would end with a, like a boss fight at the end kind of deal. And, uh, but then I built all this stuff around the forest itself. And that's kind of what took up my space. What it really ended up happening too is the wandering the the random encounters table went from two d six to four d six, so it, that ended up taking a majority of the of the zine. Yeah, I mean that. So, so it's the the scope. Then I think of the random tables. That is that what threw that whole thing off. Then it was because I wanted people to be able to use the zine and have people travel through these hexes that maybe not have anything in it but you make a few rolls and you're it's going to be rich with content right so what you're kind of doing is this whole emerging but it's discovery for both the gm and for the players absolutely yeah yeah and so was it the point where that you started writing this then you realized that that needed to be a larger component is that what happened yeah yeah that's because i hadn't considered it as much as i should have in my original plans so how did you decide that that was what you needed to do because it made sense to me because i i just thought it was uh too skeletal otherwise and i needed to flesh it out this these parts i think really helped kind of combined all the the aspects of the what i wanted to do but kind of like i said fill it out and what I was also able to do, because like when I run a campaign, a lot of the stuff is interlinking. So there's there's a lot of times, in the, even in the random tables, you're going to find content in those random tables that might relate to one of the adventures, but you might not encounter it. But if you do, you might have a leg up on this adventure that you might go on next, because now you've encountered this little main who has an association with this thing that you're going up against. And they might, depending on how, of course, the, this little main dude how you treat them, if you treat them like crap or you, you know, try to befriend them, how much information or if it'll just lie to you and give you real crap information right. could, could relate. And I always like that interlinking, you know, a, a living world where stuff happens, uh, even with the players not there or, you know, the players don't have to be there present when it happened. They, they can just see glimpses of maybe events of a larger event, you know, moments of a larger event. Have you that makes sense. Yeah, have you ever read uh, Dungeon World or played Dungeon World? Yeah, yeah, I, I've read it. I have it, and I've played it, like, 
once at a convention. So I think the genius, even though I'm not good at it, is that you have these different fronts mm-hmm. and the fronts continue regardless of what, or even if your players do nothing, these, these, or if your players do nothing, these fronts will progress a certain way. Continue, and I think the yeah. idea of having where players can choose what they do, but some things are going on in the background is really, a, I think it's a very great design. But I think for myself, when I try and do it, it's not easy to do. No, it's not because basically when you're gaming, you're gaming usually with a party who's, you know, made of insane people because they're gamers <laughs> and they do everything they can to dissuade you from continuing what you're doing, you know? Uh, yeah. So you're always kind of doing that, but yeah, yeah. But it's, it's fun. They make it interesting because, you know, because you, I like, that's one of my favorite things as GM is it, if I'm not surprised too, then my players aren't going to that surprise that's the way i kind of think of it sometimes and i and i like that discovering discovering things with the players so i'm also when i read your introduction Mm -hmm. uh you said that um it says that you expected for this kickstarter last year you expected 100 backers maybe 150 um, but you got uh, almost 600 backers yeah yeah well I, I cannot take credit for that because I I think the reason why I got 600 uh, folks is one Jim Magnuson's cover art I think really drew in a lot of people. I mean he just he, I I mean I love the you know his work he's he's one I've worked with Jim on and off for years and everything. And then kicks I had the very good fortune of Kickstarter picking mine as a I don't know feature or something like that. So when you would go on the the Zine Quest. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. always in like the first or second row a lot. So I got a lot of, I guess, airtime or whatever you want to call it in there. So that helped drive up sales. And then Phil Reed actually joined it. And I got a lot of people who, who I mean, because I didn't know who Phil was before right. until this Kickstarter. And um, he, he, he backed me. And then I, there was like dozen, a couple dozen people that joined me because they said, yeah, Phil. I saw Phil join it, so I'm coming over to check it out and do it. And I got a bunch because of that. So, I mean, it was a, there was a lot of different things in play that really helped me, you know, almost get to 600 people. I mean, I was, I was really blown away by it. So you really don't know why Kickstarter picked yours other than, than probably that somebody saw it and said, this is an example of what, a good example of what we're looking for for ZineQuest. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know why they picked it or anything. No, no, um, you didn't say any bribe money or. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, no. <laughs> they are hitting up on the wrong person with their bribe money. I think I, I can bribe you with some uh, micro adventures, but that's about all the only currency I have. Is that, right? Maybe that's what you did. Is sent out sent a box of micro adventures. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll have to try again this year then, because that. Well, really, I think the idea is is Phil. I think he is the like the mafia don, right? Maybe oh, he's he, the, yeah, he's key. I, I, he is. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of. Uh, or or is he the uh, what is it the uh, you know the the cult leader who brings him in the Zine cult leader. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's a good cult to be in if you're gonna if you're gonna have to pick a cult. Right. I think it's probably one of the better cults. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and their 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 reading literature is definitely top notch. <laughs> you know, you're right. <laughs> And I don't, I don't see anybody asking anybody to drink Kool-Aid, so I think that's no, a plus. 
no Kool-Aid, no, no. So yeah, no, but there, yeah, there's definitely a lot of factors that helped out with me. And then um, I have to give Joe the lawyer a nod too. He'll be mad if I didn't mention him too. So uh, he helped me edit and clean things up. And like the 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 uh, information that was shared on the you know like the Kickstarter campaign page. He helped me clean up and organize better, and so it read better and sounded a lot better than what well, I Well, I think that's key, and that's one thing that concerns me for when I do that in um, uh, for Zine Quest 3. Mm -hmm. And I, I think maybe we're going to form a, a group of people that we can all look at each other's first page just to make sure it's concise and right. it's engaging and it's not full of mistakes minor right. mistakes absolutely yeah because mm -hmm. it's not I had, two, I had two other people you know joe and got another person to go over it to, to help me out because it did need a lot of work so well i think the thing is for all of us well everybody needs somebody to to look over the work mm -hmm. right because we in our own heads know it's supposed to be and so just the idea of having another person is important and i think absolutely. it's one thing um future podcasts I like to talk about is you know editors and proofreaders and and things mm -hmm. like that and um and it's 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 it is i think what we have now is with the software mm -hmm. is the barrier of entry is very low to producing very professional results and as people as um even though uh we are um not businesses but I think there is a higher expectation for, for good-looking pride. It doesn't have to be, like, the slickest, but the expectation is, you know, you shouldn't have spelling mistakes, and you shouldn't have this and this and this and that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think for anybody wanting to have a, a successful product anymore, uh, you're, we have to make sure that our product is, is top-notch. Yeah, I mean, you you got a lot of, you know, we gaming industry in general, I think, has a pretty high level of education of you know participants. You know, so you're you're not you get you got quite a few educated people out there that you know can pick stuff apart. And um, I just forgot what my point was going to be here, but uh, uh, about the, the, the level, but well, you know, when, when we're charging money, I mean, we're like right. these days we're charging like ten bucks a zine, <clears> so we can make a little bit of sketch because it just costs so much to do things but if you're asking somebody to put out like double digits for a zine you want it to be somewhat clean and and have that little bit of effort that someone's polished it up and not um filled with like so many mistakes that it distracts you from the content of your zine you know a few here and there you know that's going to happen every you know going to happen but uh you know at least uh try to do the best you can to make sure you're make it clean so that way the people feel like they got their money's worth and everything too because i think that's important so the uh for so his name is jim magnuson Magnuson, uh, yeah i call him the mad swede he's one of my my so, swedish guy up there so yeah. how'd you so did you know him i i think you knew him before this kickstarter mm -hmm. yeah so how did you get in contact with jim I mean, like, what was the initial, like, did you, did you have like a, a uh, friendship beforehand or did you say I need an artist? And I mean, what, from what I remember, 
it was on G plus and I may be remembering this wrong. He had put out a few pieces on, you know, how they share, like, you know, Google plus sharing some of the artwork. So I contact him, say, Tim, he's like, I really dig your artwork. Can you give me an, I need some, I was doing the manners, I have my manner zines and I think it was manner five. I had uh, this, this piece that one of my friends wrote about uh, mystic mirrors or something like these magical mirrors. So I wanted a cover piece and the cover piece he did was just like so creepy and cool for me. And it was fast. I mean, I asked him one day and it was like, I got it that morning. And I was like, wow, you know, and I just thought it was fantastic. I'm like, would you be interested in doing the artwork for the whole zine? And he jumped on, it. I mean, he's a super guy to deal with. I mean, he's just, he's just about as friendly as it can be and everything. And he, he works a lot with Glenn seal too. He's doing, you know, does a lot of work with uh, him also, but uh, yeah, he did, he did the artwork for probably what we're, you know, I'm, I'm using famous in like, you know, weak quotes there him and i i did this uh small mini zine called the uh, uh the filleted king and uh he did the artwork for it and it just blew up because of his art it had nothing to do with you know my writing because they just saw that cover and was like oh we i we gotta have that <laughs> well and i agree uh you know if you do look at products the, the art not only just sells it the mm -hmm. i think the purchase but I think it also sells the material inside. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, and yeah. and I think you know, looking at the artwork, I mean, it's really a perfect fit for what you're doing. Yeah, Jim, because there's because I like using different artists for different kind of things depending on what the feel I want to get with. But Jim was you know absolutely perfect for what I wanted to do with this scene and and a lot of stuff because yeah, he his uh, artwork I, I just think he's fantastic he just does a good job so the kickstarter that so once you hit um so the you go through the kickstarter mm -hmm. the kickstarter ends so yes. you got 600 backers right you were only planning on we'll say planning you're only expecting 150 yes uh all of a sudden your fulfillment <laughs> just quadrupled exactly yes so and was there is, a moment uh, of like what have i done there because this is something i was printing from home i was doing it was all i was going to the printer next to me and i did it all from home uh yeah that's exactly <laughs> i'm thinking oh man <laughs> like i might have to use some vacation days or something <laughs> like that to get that i mean i mean we're also you know because shortly after that then the whole covid thing hit too so it kind of got uh, put in the back seat for a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I was well aware. And then, and then the cost that I expected for dealing with this kind of um, increase because I had to change my strategy. And uh, one of the things uh, I didn't expect either is when Kickstarter, because because that number is a bit of a, a deception. Kickstarter does this. I, I um i had my play when they when they pledged they paid their postage at the same time well they put the postage in with the pledge number oh and oh. then and then they got to take a percentage of it too oh, oh. so yeah so it was a sneaky little trick <laughs> like, that i did not know about 
So even though it kind of looks like an inflated number, like over a thousand of that was uh, postage collected for postage. So so twenty percent of what you show as mm-hmm. far as as we receipts twenty percent postage. Pretty much, yeah. I think it was. I think that was around that number. It was around twenty percent that uh, it was all because po- I, I can't remember how much it was for postage. I think two dollars for. Uh, I think it was two dollars for the regular or U.S. and then four dollars for international. So um, at that point, then they charge. What's their percentage that they charge? What they charge is like around 10%. It's, there are two different charges. There's like a credit card or whatever yeah. processing fees is around 5%. And then Kickstarter's version is 5%. So, yeah. So basically, I got $100 of my postage taken away from me because of the way they did that. I will not be making that mistake this year. I will be collecting postage afterwards. Okay. So I guess I got this question. We're going to go back a little bit and go forward. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the Kickstarter ends. This is this is what I don't know. Okay, just okay. say I've got just say I've got a PDF delivery, and I also I'm going to do some books. Okay, the Kickstarter ends. What are you given? Like, what is the product that you you say? Okay, you owe these people. Like, mm-hmm. what's that mechanism? Why is it a spreadsheet? Is it you can, a- you can do it as a spreadsheet. They ha- now I know there's other programs that can help you. You know some of the better. Yeah. You know folks out there that have run kickstarters before but like pledge manager my, and backer kit yeah i just use what kickstarter had so i just use and basically it's just a giant list that you can populate by uh selecting like say i just want my pdf backers i just would click, click the pdf pledge level and all my pdf backers would populate in the list and then and then you would send out your survey for like uh like the rpg now thing or in my case i just kind of put it in the link or put it in one of the updates yeah type thing so they could get it soon but i also gave them uh, a coupon for a free one in rpg now so they could have it in their library too so uh, over at rpg now so i did it two different ways for the for the pdf okay and so then you said okay i've got this so you're your cover, so you did this on a printer, but your cover has a, um, that's where I'm looking for, the yellow, it's like a, it's like aged yellow paper. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I can't say the right word, but it, it's splotchy yellow. Right. So mm-hmm. did you, did you buy paper to kind of look like that and then you print it over the top of it? Yes. Or, okay. That's, that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just it's called gold parchment or something like that. I yeah. got you know, and it was a uh, because I wanted to have like you said, like kind of like a uh, oh, it was kind of a splotchy or you know, kind of aged looking parchment look to it. And that what I was actually really looking for was this old construction paper that was used to be kind of this yellowish color, but it had this. It wasn't as firm as cardstock, but it had this kind of thick, but kind of I don't know, almost like old map feel to it that I was looking for, but I couldn't find that. They stopped making it. They started making this other, like, newsprint is basically what ended up, you know, the newsprint paper is what got replaced with it. I didn't want one of the old stuff that they used to have. Right. So so the, 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 so the, how much did you have, like, in paper costs? 
Oh gosh. Uh, I okay. <laughs> so my remember I says print at home. I had a lot of problems with my printer, and I was using MS uh, Publisher publishing off of that. Wow. MS Publisher was very difficult to print off of. And I wasn't smart enough. My wife was smart enough. I wasn't smart enough to save it on a PDF, so it would it would be more consistent. Because what would happen oh. in Publisher when I would print stuff, elements would disappear all of a sudden, <laughs> and and, it, and there would be no rhyme or reason to it. All of a sudden, you know, I, it would print like ten of them really good, and then on the eleventh one, all of a sudden, it would be Hunter in death. It's like they make my S disappear. <laughs> So I was, I can't tell you how I, I probably threw away hundreds of dollars with mistakes and papers and stuff. I mean, I, it was really aggravating at one point because it just seemed like every time I print something, I, I would have to, to um, redo it. So what we did is we changed the strategy on how we were doing it. Instead of printing, trying to print out the zine as a whole, one zine as a whole. I just started printing them out one page at a time and then assembling them. So that way, if there was a mistake, I only lost one page instead of having a zine with missing stuff. In it. Right. So um, again, then my wife came up with that, not me. <laughs> so I guess the question would be, is, are you, are you running, are you planning on running, um, a, are you doing any products for Zine Quest 3? I, yeah, I think I am. I think I will. I so will not it, be printing it at home. Okay, that's what, that was the question. <laughs> me, I, I will not be doing that again. No, no. I, I'm going to explore the new world of, uh, what is it, Mixum. Okay. To, yeah, yes. you know, I think the idea that I was, in fact, I'm going to try and I, I reached out uh, via their form to see if I can get an interview uh, one of their people. Oh, great. That'd be fantastic. Well, because there's so many options with paperweight and coatings. And I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can get the samples, but it's like, you know, and the other right. thing is with paperweight, it's like we're stapling these things together, saddle, uh, saddle stitch, mm -hmm. where your paperweight is going to uh, cause that to squeeze, have more squeeze out, I guess I'll call it for lack right. of a better word. And the more squeeze out you have, the more material you're going to be trimming off. So your margins are going to be jacked up if you go too thick. Right. I mean, you really, I mean, to me, the, the uh, what do you want to call it, the gold line of stuff you want to do you want to have around like a 24 pound paper because that's light enough where it will not seem it won't bloat or you know squeeze out so much but it's thick enough that you won't have bleed through and then uh 24 pages is about what fits really nicely into a zine on there. you might have a little bit bunch but you wouldn't have to trim it at that point right that seems like to be like the magic uh thing there but a lot of people, what they forget here, Jeff, and I'm going to tell you a zine secret here. All right, just between me and you. <laughs> yes. It's the magic of the squish. The you got to squish. Yes, because you get these zines from the printers or after you print them out and you staple them up, they, they're all kind of like open and floppy and stuff like that. You got to get like 10 reams of paper and just stack them on all your zines and get them right. good and squished. And then they, and for whatever reason, it just makes them look I do that all the time. Well, so I've been experimenting. What I've done is I've I've gotten some clamps. Okay. But yeah. but the problems with the clamps is you're not going to do uh, 600 of them that way. No, 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 no. I mean, I I do like you know maybe a couple dozen at a time, and I use gaming books. I use all my monster manuals I have, and that's more than 
you know, I, I just throw a few of those like, you know, 600 pound or 600 page uh, monster <laughs> manuals I have, and uh, they're the perfect squishers there. Yeah. So you're not, so it sounds like because you're, you're thinking about going to a, a printing service, Yes, uh, you're not going to go just take paper to go and get it Xeroxed at that tip or, or whatever. No, no, I want to go to, I want to go because I've seen the, the, the quality of uh, uh, Mixum and I, and I, I think it's really good. And, and I was kind of doing the cost and it actually cost me almost double to print it at home than it did if I would have just went to Mixum. And part of that is because I screwed up so much and had so many mistakes. Well, and I think the other thing too is this is a cost that you don't know going in, but mm -hmm. it's time and aggravation. Well, there was a lot of that. <laughs> so you got a demanding job, right? You come to you come home. You're under. Well, I won't say guilt, but you're under pressure to to start printing stuff out. Ab absolutely, yeah. And then the yeah. S's don't print. Right. <laughs> for no reason yeah. there was just no reason yeah and then it would make different pieces of art randomly disappear too yeah so it's and then the problem like, is it's not you can't sell that as a feature no matter how good a salesman you are that's not <laughs> right you can't yes. just say you know if, if you're missing an s that's actually a special one you right, send me yeah. that i'll give you a coupon for whatever no it's like Oh yeah, yeah I know. I was trying to rationalize something out of it, and I'm like, no, I want. I spent all this time rewriting and getting our work, and I was like, I want everyone to be as precise and you know as I possibly can get it. So yeah, so I threw away a lot. Well, I think uh, I think for those of us, I mean, unless you are young and have an inordinate amount of time and patience, and and enjoy frustration. Uh, it's probably best just to figure out the cost of a service that can provide you, especially if you're probably, I would imagine anything under hundred is probably not a big deal, but, uh, but boy, when you start hitting 600, that's, that's an enormous amount. Yeah. Well, that's why you do Kickstarter. So you can get that. Yeah. And the, the, your printer, how'd your printer hold up to it all? Oh, I mean, the printer's, I mean, I can do small batches and it does, you know, does fine now, but I, I've, I've changed the way I print stuff too. I stopped printing off of the program and started printing off PDFs. There's no drop of elements on a PDF. So it's, you know, my, my waste is reduced considerably. Yeah. <laughs> There's only much scratch paper that you can have. That's right. my problem. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it's like, do you need this? Like, no, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. It's failed print experiments. That... Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay, Tim, it looks like uh, we are hitting the uh, wall of the time space continuum again. Mm -hmm. And I will say that uh, Hunters and Death is a, is a beautiful book. Uh, kind of scanning through it. And I think I really enjoy, you know, when I was going to go to the end, I think towards the end, those, um, I really enjoy your, um, I think it's the bestiary portions. I like the, the fonts. I think it's their tables look really nice. It's just a very, very Thanks. clean product. And, and I can understand why, uh, why it was so successful. And I oh, think, appreciate if, that. Thank you. you know, and honestly, it's like, so you did this and you did this in, uh, publisher and i think yes. it's a good example of the type of product that somebody can do and be successful not needing to spend uh lots of money for indesign or dive into uh, uh affinity affinity publisher 
you can be successful with just the products that you have on hand. Yeah, I mean, that, that I didn't really have a choice because that's the only one I know how to use. Although yeah. I do have Affinity now and I've been playing with that, but I definitely, Publisher, because I've used it for so long, is what I'm used to. And I'll squeeze every little ounce of, I know I know how to use everything in it so I can squeeze everything out of it that I can possibly do. So, yeah. So anyway, I, I think that's a great example of, of putting out a great looking product with the tools that you have on hand and you can run a successful Kickstarter. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, get, get that cover though done before you Kickstarter. Make sure you get a cool cover because that will make, because that's the first thing people are going to look at when they check that out. So I, uh, I, I can't stress that enough. Cool cover will definitely go a long way. Well, thanks again, Tim. And until next time, take care. Yep, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate yeah. it. All right, bye. Well, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate, you know, taking the time to interview and everything. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, good. I'm glad. So I, I'm your guinea pig for this one then? Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to take the first one, the first mm -hmm. one we did, and then I'm going to then take Ben's second one and put it on top of your first one. Gotcha. And then I'll just, what I'll do is I'll start piggybacking so then people will be mm -hmm. over a couple different episodes. Very cool. Good. So you're going to have like two an episode then? Yeah. I, my, my goal is my initial thought, it may change, but my initial sure. thought was to kind of have a, a general talk about somebody and then another one where it's more of a deeper dive on a subject. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. God. And then maybe some just get into really get into the weeds on some of these. Oh yeah. You know, yeah as really as Eric in. calls it, he calls it a hex crawl. You know, yeah, so if we want to get into, you know, uh, deep into, you know, you know, dice mechanics or whatever, that's possible. But I just know I don't want a whole episode of dice mechanics. That's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. But I don't think anybody else really does. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, it's kind of like with uh, the hex talk, Jace, they did all the different ways, doing random tables. Right. And that was a really good series of episodes. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. I thought it was probably their best work. I mean, and then Jose's freaking hilarious. Anyway, he cracks me. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was probably the most helpful or informative one in, in a lot of ways. Because because I kind of go with what they're. Because I always love to have the instead of a linear uh, wandering table. I like the probability so I can put like the rare or unique ones on the ends and have the more common ones in the middle of the, the kind of, uh, I don't know. I think it, it's more real that way or for it works better for what I want. So, yeah. I, yeah. And I think it's just so many different fun and logical ways to approach depending what you want out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think what they did uh, was definitely just go to show the, all the different options or not all the different options, but anyway, quite better go. Yeah. I got, got uh, Ben. Yes. All right. Well, to, please tell Ben, I said hello and uh, good luck with your show. I look forward hey, to it. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome, Jeff. Take care. Right. Man. Thank you for listening to RPG ramblings. I'm Jeff Jones, and I can be reached at I underscore am underscore Jeffrey at Twitter. And I also started an RPG Ramblings Facebook group. Until next week, take care, my friends.
uh, Eric, this is Jeff. Um, hey, Jeff, what's up, man? Well, I hate calling you so late, but I got this. I got this thing kind of bugs me. So, like D and D first edition, we had these kobolds, right? Yeah. And they look like dogs. Like lizardy dogs, but yes. Yeah, they're more dogs than than not. And somewhere down the ro- down the road, I I think I don't know third edition or something. Somebody started turning them into like these dragon creatures. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I think initially they were dog dog lizards. Yeah, I would say. Stra- I mean, they weren't canine, but you look at them; they're like they definitely weren't like this dragon nonsense, were they? Yeah, I never, I never really figured out where kobolds existed because. Whatever niche they landed in kind of was the goblin. Goblins landed there first. And, you know, goblins and orcs had a natural uh, synergy. And it went on to giant. And I think kobolds are like the odd man out. Or the odd but, like out, turning them into dragon creatures or whatever this, this, this uh, thing is. I, I guess they were, you know, linked to dragonborn, right? I guess they might be uh, failed dragonborn. I don't know. I, I never played 4E. I just had the books and tried to read them before I threw them to the side. Well, but I guess the question is, is like, was that a stroke of genius or is that sacrilege? I mean, do kobolds need to be dogs or do they need to be like these little these little henchmen for dragons? Uh, you know, to be honest, kobolds have never been a real part of any of my campaigns. I've used them. And uh, since they always went yap, 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 I guess you kind of can infer they were dog-like in their speech at the very least. But uh, sacrilege? Mm, no. Uh, does it have any real meaning? No. I, it, it's not like you're changing one of the, the, the core humanoids. If you, if you did what Pathfinder did, Python made goblins into more goblin-like creatures that were almost comical in appearance. Yeah, that was not that. That was enough, that that was people noticed that. Um, orcs, you know, you make a major change on the, uh, on orcs, people will notice it. Kobolds, I don't think anybody noticed. Well, do you think that was a just an epic fail with Gygax? Like, should he have actually made him like like dragon henchmen, like the dragons of the Mafia Don? And he sends out these flunkies and they go out doing his business and they, you know, come up to your characters and you got an offer you can't refuse. That kind of stuff. Would that have made them better? Would you have used them more if they just actually had more narrative bite, so to speak? But no pun I intended. Think, I don't think Guy Gax was worried about narrative bite. I mean No, he wasn't, was he? He was brought up in war gaming. So campaigns evolved as they did, and if the idea of an ongoing campaign and the fancy role playing. That was that was part of the evolution. So, uh, planning out dragon henchmen. Come on, dra- dragons were meant to uh, destroy the party, and if somehow you got lucky and and probably to defeat the dragon, if you drove them off, you got access to their horde and whatever you could pull away. But you probably weren't going to be killing any dragons with, with, with. So you're saying if they were if they were dragon henchmen, if they were like the 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 underlings of this greater uh, like force you you wouldn't have found it like any more enticing to use kobolds you wouldn't have said you know what maybe they're doing heists and they invite your characters in to do a heist or they're gonna like pull off a robbery none of that kind of stuff 
you know, it could have been something that might have been specific to a campaign world. And okay. I think that could definitely, just like they changed uh, Halflings into Kender in, in Dragonlands, I could see a tweak like that certainly working. But for the core race, I hate to say it, and if you're a kobold lover, you're going to hate when I say this, but uh, take them or leave them. Uh, if you remove them from the game totally, I don't think anybody would blink. Oh, oh I'm sure somebody out there is sad, but... Uh, but I love my kobolds! Get off my kobold lawn! Okay, so I think we just determined that real kobolds really just don't matter, and that they were yeah, just... Significant. Okay. They have less hit points than goblins. They do. They do. But goblins were D six or for D eight. Well, goblins were D six plus one, whatever it was. Kobolds. Kobolds are half an orc at best. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I think that kind of helps. You know, maybe I'm realizing that maybe that's really not such a burning issue after all, and maybe I just need to calm down about it. You know what your time you called, right? Yeah, that probably wasn't yeah. a burning issue. All right, well, yeah. I- I'm going to turn back over right now. So, all right, well, well, thank you. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye.